0: Hello, welcome to Healing Out Loud with me, your host, Jackie Shea. This is a place to relate to the darkest days and be inspired by ultimate triumph. Each week, I interview a brave guest who has extensive experience with illness and or wellness, and hopefully we will leave you inspired to warrior on, highly informed about something new, and connected to a tribe of amazing humans. Because the only way out is through, but it helps to have a tribe walking with you. Hey guys, happy Monday! So before we dive into this episode, I'd love for you to take a moment to check out my Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash healing out loud. It's a place where you can support this podcast with small monthly payments so that I keep bringing you awesome content. It takes a lot of work to do this each week and if you love what you're hearing and you want them to keep coming, please just check out the perks you get for becoming a patron and everything else at patreon.com slash healing loud. Alright, another fun piece of news, if you follow me on Instagram, then you already know this, <laughs> and saw my ridiculous dance party, but I paid off my car yesterday, and I'm just so excited about it. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram for more ridiculous and, and fun stuff l- like that, please do, at Jackie. Okay, I have a great episode for you this week with nurse practitioner and storyteller Ursilia Pompilio. If you are a nurse or considering entering the medical profession, then this episode will be of great use and inspiration to you. There's a lot of uh, great advice inside for patients as well, especially in the childlike weekly challenge to play. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes or any other platform. Check out JackieShay.com if you'd like to work with me. Follow me at JackieShea.com for anything else. And follow my Instagram at SheaJackie for wellness tips and fun updates. Join the Healing Out Loud with Jackie Shea Facebook community if you so desire. And reach out to me for anything else. I always love to hear from you. Okay, let's hit this week's episode. Hello, hello. I'm pretty pumped to introduce my guest, Ursilia Pompilio, a pediatric nurse practitioner, storyteller, writing teacher, freelance writer. She's also the CEO of Rogue Nurse Media, a 501c3, with a mission to empower nurses and patients to tell their stories. She also hosts and produces the amazing podcast, Nurses and Hypochondriacs. Hi, Ursilia. Hi, Jackie. So excited to have a nurse on the show. Thank you for having me. Well, we met last year on my show. That's right. That we was did. a fun show. It's so fun, and I think your show is so fun and and full of education. I mean, there is you, nurses get one C for listening, so
1: That's right. Yeah. It's it's great. It's been it's been a good ride. We've been doing it for a year now. And yeah, you were one of our Beginning guess, Yes. It was so fun.
0: And it was. It was so fun. I can't believe um, even my journey in the last year, too. Like, I, I think back to then, and I was even sicker then than I am, you know? Like, I've just gotten healthier and healthier and healthier. But so... Uh, it's really hard to pin down nurses. You guys are always so busy, I feel like, so I'm really <laughs> excited to have you. I want to get into a few things before we kind of discuss your, your creative stuff and where you're at today. I kind of want to pick your brain as a nurse, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So why, why did you decide you wanted to be a nurse?
1: Why did I decide I wanted to be a nurse? I wanted to go to med school. I knew I wanted to help people. And I think that the environment that I was in, my parents wanted me to be a physician. They wanted me to be a doctor. So they were always buying me physician-type toys, you know, medical-type toys. And um, every time I would go to the doctor's office, I loved it. Every time I would go to the pediatrician's office, I just was – I loved it. I loved looking through the door, drawers, and – Um, playing with all the instruments, and I felt like I was in my element. Uh, When my brother was, uh, I think, nine years old, he was admitted to Children's Hospital. He got septic. He stepped on a rested nail, and he was there for about a month or two months because he was getting IV antibiotics and stuff, Uh, and he had to have surgery on his toe, and um, I love being there you know, and I knew that one day I would be working there. And I think I was about 12 years old at the time. And I was, like I said, in my element, I was always playing with all the other kids. And so I just loved it. And when I was in grad school or going to um, go to college, I felt like at 18, I had to make this huge decision. And I had my art side. And I had, um, you know, this, this medical side that wanted to Blossom in me as well And I felt at that time I had to make a decision So I decided to go into Healthcare Uh, Medicine wise Wasn't for me, I couldn't really do math (laughs) (laughs) So um, The nursing world was uh, Much better, Um, I felt like um, Doors that were Shut down all of a sudden opened up for me Like people were like, oh you can't get into that Program, there's um, A waiting list, well Suddenly, when I was on there, there was no waiting list, you know, and same thing happened to me when I I went to grad school, they were like, oh, there's a waiting list for that program. But when I went in, my teacher loved my Gucci purse and was like, well, suddenly there's no waiting list. So the doors would just open for me. And I even, um, you know, it's been a great career. It's been almost 22 years. And I, I spoke to an astrologer. The other day, um, his name is Robert Phoenix. He's all over YouTube and stuff like that. He's great. Uh, And he was like, um, he's like, you're really good at your job. So it's in the stars. And I had another astrologer tell me that I was supposed to be a doctor. So I don't know. I just, I feel like I'm in my element. I love it. That's awesome.
0: I know this is so cliche, but you know, you really, you have to just click into it as a nurse. Like I, I could never be a nurse and I'm sure so many people say that to you all of the time. Oh, all the time. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, so many people would tell me as a kid that I should be a nurse and I, cause if I was at the hospital with my grandpa, you know, you should be a nurse, you should be a nurse. And I'd be like, I hate being here. <laughs> I hate being here. I hate seeing you suck the phlegm out of my grandpa. Like i I can't tolerate this stuff, you know. Um, even after being sick, I'm not very good at tolerating, like, other people's, you know. But you're a health coach now.
1: So you're uh, yeah. kind of, see? It's, yeah. It's kind of, But you know, I don't
0: have to, like, you know. Yeah, you
1: don't have to. Clean up poop. Yeah, but that's, <laughs> exactly, that's that's kind of. Comes with the territory. It's not anything anybody likes to do, so But you can and that's yeah. it's, it's, Well, not anymore. No. <laughs> I don't really as a nurse practitioner, no, I you know, I knew I couldn't do certain things for a long time and it wasn't for me. And I always wanted to be a, a pediatric nurse practitioner. That was my end goal. So, so tell I me achieve
0: that. That's what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. What are the different kinds of nurses? Like what what makes a nurse practitioner a nurse practitioner versus Something else.
1: Well, there's different um, aspects of nurses, so I guess we can start uh, on the bottom tier, which is a certified nursing assistant. And so, what a certified nursing assistant is, you still have to go to a class and get certified. And basically, what they do is they are they assist the nurse, and they're the ones who maybe will bathe the patients and do the vital signs and you know um, do the dirty stuff with. Changing diapers and um, you know calculating liquids like uh, urine and stool and stuff like that and keeping those records. Uh, then we have a licensed vocational nurse, which is a, a step above. So a licensed vocational nurse, what they do is again. They'll go to a training program, and um, I think it's about nine months, almost two years sometime. No, not really two years, like nine to 18 months. I'm not exactly sure on the training for a licensed vocational nurse. And so, again, they're a step up above the CNA. They can give medications. They'll give injections. Uh, they don't give IV medications. Um, and you'll find them in a skilled nursing facility, convalescent hospital. Uh, some hospitals do employ them. And um, so they'll take the vital signs and give medications and, yeah, stuff like that. Then we have the registered nurse, which is a registered nurse is uh, there's various programs now. It's, the profession has evolved immensely. So you can start with an associate's degree if you want, or you could go into a bachelor's degree program, um, Or there are some other programs now. If you have a secondary degree, uh, like if you have a degree in something like business, you can go and get your master's in nursing, and it's like a full-on program. So uh, you'll come out with your master's in, like, nursing administration or something like that. Uh, And um, so, yeah, so what the registered nurse does is they – uh, do they take care of the patient while they're in the hospital, so they are the main person other than the physician who is just, like, giving orders. <laughs> right. But they go in and they do their assessment. They'll check the patient's, um, you know... They they're the ones who give the care to the patients. So I'm like, how it's been a while since I've been in the hospital setting. I mean, because I'm mostly in clinic now. So yeah, so they'll go in and they they take the patient is theirs. You know, if the the medications, they do all the education, the teaching, um, any dressings, any change, any dressing changes. It's like they are it. Is an you know? RN always in a hospital? No, no, okay, no. An RN can now be found almost anywhere. There's like flight nurses who are in helicopters and do transport. There are nurses in ambulances who do transport. There are nurses – I used to work at Disneyland as a nurse.
0: Oh. So you were an RN. (laughs) Yes. I was an
1: RN first. Yes, I was a registered nurse first. Okay. So I went to an associate's degree program. I got a two-year degree. I went to Pasadena City College. And then I went for my bachelor's degree, and I went to Cal State Long Beach. So that was another almost two years. Uh, that I did that. And meanwhile, I was working. So I worked at a hospital um, and I worked at a very, very busy, uh, it was called orthopedic med surge, orthoneural med surge. Yeah. So we had all the orthopedic patients and neurological patients and the post-surgery patients. So it was rather busy. So I was in charge of probably about 10, 10 patients, giving them their antibiotics or pain meds. Uh, whatever else I needed, dressing changes. Um, you know, I, I the CNA had thirty patients, so of course I would have to do one on one care with them too if they needed to be bathed or uh, linens changed or what have you, enemas. You oh. know everything.
0: Fun, <laughs> fun, fun. So, um, so what comes after
1: RN? So, after RN, there is you get your masters, and you can either go into administration you know, uh, as in the management level, or you could become a nurse practitioner, which I am, Um, or there's CRNA, which is a certified uh, nurse anesthetist, which works in the operating room. There's other ones where you can just go get your master's and do other forms. There's occupational health nursing where you get your master's and do that. Um, But what I do as a pediatric nurse practitioner, so I um, am kind of like a doctor, but not really. So, (laughs) I know it sounds so confusing. Um, Basically, what I do is I assess, I diagnose, I prescribe, I have a DEA license. Um, And, yeah, I work with a physician as in, like, most of the clinics that I cover right now. I'm the sole provider there. And the physicians are either on vacation because I work (laughs) for a company where I just cover – or they're sick. But what they're supposed to do is just check my charts like once a month and stuff, and they'll pull a couple charts out. I believe it's 10. I don't know. There's some kind of law. (laughs) I'm not exactly sure. Of how many patients. Of how many, well, of how many charts are supposed to check per month if they even do it. So they have to do like an audit on you monthly. So just to make sure that you're on top of your game and that you're doing everything okay and, and stuff like that. So yeah. And that's how we work in conjunction with each other. They don't, now, there's a physician assistant where they have to work in conjunction with a doctor, and I believe they have to check their charts or something like that. I'm not exactly sure on that aspect. But so yeah. I'm
0: asking these questions because uh-huh. a lot of my listeners are patients, right? And mm-hmm. me as a patient, like, I've worked with nurse practitioners. I've worked with physician assistants, and right. I, I don't know the difference. Like, I actually never thought to consider the difference. Like I never yeah. thought to consider uh, yeah. like, oh, what what does the nurse practitioner do? How can I advocate with a nurse practitioner mm-hmm. versus how can I advocate with a, a physician's assistant? And like, so as a sick person, if uh, they're being treated by a nurse practitioner, um, how can patients best advocate for themselves in the doctor's office and hospitals when doctors are so busy and they rarely have time for sick patients? How can they... You know, enhance their relationship with their nurse practitioner.
1: Nurse practitioners are notorious for being great educators, okay? And um a lot of the times they're they're the ones who are sitting there and uh, having a more empathic connection with you. Um, and that's what we're just taught to do in school from the basics of nursing is just sit there, listen to your patient. And be open with them so that they are in a very healing environment and then they can go ahead and, you know, tell you, you educate them. I spend a lot of time educating my patients, maybe sometimes too much that they become very hypochondriac, (laughs) (laughs) which actually happened to me today. Um, But, yeah, they're just known to be better educators. Um, I'm not saying that physicians are terrible educators. But it's just there is a difference where in medical school, they're just taught to treat and di- treat the disease and diagnose. Whereas a nurse practitioner, it's just where lis- it's like we are listening to the whole person.
0: That's what we want. Yeah. That's yeah. what patients I'm not. I'm not
1: saying, do- you know, we all work together as a team. I work with some amazing physicians and I'm not putting them down in, in any shape or way or form, um, you know, and, and, and stuff. But there are certain people that aren't such great educators, and I'm sure there's probably not great nurse practitioners who are um, great educators either. So it's just really nowadays in healthcare, it's really finding that right person who can be act like as a consultant because ultimately you are in charge of your body, you know, and someone to help you facilitate all that. And, and stuff, and to listen to you when you are complaining of a problem, and to really hear you out instead of you having to go to the hospital, like, or to your doctor's office complaining of the same problem ten times in a row, where you're just like, "Hey, let's just run some tests that we haven't done before." You keep complaining of the same thing. Maybe it's something else. So, so this is kind of a
0: tricky question. Um, are you ever guilty of not believing your patients? Sometimes. Yeah. I'll have to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine you Mm -hmm. see so many patients. So that's something that patients struggle with a lot. You know, the fear of not being believed. And Mm -hmm. and, um, what is it? What is it that makes you question a patient's um, true what they're saying?
1: I, you know, I use my intuition a lot, you know, and I really take the time to sit with people. And um, I try my best you know, uh, to tell them like it is. And I what I really do with my patients is I give them options, you know, and I tell them, okay, this is a plan. Are you good with that? What would you like to do? You know, do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And and so I feel that when I'm coming at them through that perspective where we're dealing with this together, I'm not the one making the decisions. We're making the decisions together. It's different, you know. They seem much more happier and much more like, hey, I, I, I have control yeah. in in this say-so. Because, excuse me. I tell them that they're free to go somewhere else if they want a second opinion. You know, I'm not going to get upset. <laughs> I, don't, right. I don't care. Right. Ultimately, it's their body. They have the right to go to whoever they want. And they've even suggested to some that maybe they need to go to a more holistic
0: mm-hmm. type of
1: um, – you know, instead of allopathic medicine, which allopathic medicine, you know, I think is good for certain things, but it's not good for everything, you know. And I've done a lot of esoteric practices on myself as well, which I talk about on my podcast. But um, yeah, I tell people do whatever works and whatever is going to be safe for you, that you're not going to put yourself in harm's way by doing something. But uh, take Western medicine, allopathic medicine, and naturopathic medicine, and just kind of, You know, see what's good for you. Yeah, that's so so
0: smart, and that's really the the deal at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Every patient has to find their own way, and I did. I took from Western, and I took from Eastern, and I took from here, and I took from there, and I I never put too much energy on what one person said. Exactly. And um, you work together, and what you what I really hear you saying is just find somebody that you feel comfortable enough with,
1: and. And take care of yourself. Right. I mean, healthcare these days really sucks because you're going to someone and they're only seeing you for 10 minutes. How is someone supposed to figure out your whole entire life, your whole entire, like, what's wrong with you in 10 minutes? That's, it's insane. You can't do that, you know. Um, So I, I really believe that it's the patient that needs to take control of their body. They know something's wrong, then... You gotta go to the certain places. I really think the whole healthcare system should change, as in um, it's kind of doing that in a way where it's more of a team environment. Like we have these services for you. Like I know there's um, pain certain pain management um, facilities like uh, have that. Like they're offering uh, acupuncture, massage, yoga. Um, they're also offering like. Um, Uh, nerve stimulators, just different options, you know. And I I think that's great that you could go to a place like that and you have all these options to you and there's someone helping to facilitate you through that. I think that's what we should be going to as a healthcare population now.
0: And it's not the doctor's fault or the physician's fault or the nurse practitioner's fault. Really, it's insurance companies that are are controlling, you know, or this is what I – Think I know? Yeah, it's that, true yeah. that you that like you have to see you have to you only get ten minutes with your patients. Mm-hmm. That's what the insurance company says, and you have to follow that in order to keep that insurance company as on board with you.
1: Right. Well, there, yeah, there's a time constraint because you're supposed to see. Like for me, I know certain um, clinics that I go to. I have to see about twenty patients, which is great because back in the day, you used to see thirty to forty in an eight hour day, which is ridiculous. So now I can spend more time because people have been fighting for that. Um, But still 20 is a lot. Like if if there is a person that has a lot of questions, you know, it's like I try to give them as much time as possible. There are certain places that I work at and I, I get as much time as I want um but that's very very rare so
0: right right yeah so that's exactly what what needs to happen patients need to take care into their own hands and uh and i love what what you yeah. see in oh, it and going the back
1: to it, it is the insurance companies it is managed care it's just a lot of weird um hospital yes political political shit, yeah
0: right, right. um Okay, great. So what are you I- – I'm just curious what you're kind of seeing on the inside right now. Like is there a real uprise in, in, um, in illness in the 22 years that you've been working? Have you seen more of something? Do you have an insight on the yeah, opioid really int-
1: crisis? It's or? interesting that you bring that up because um, with all the vaccines that are out there, uh, we've seen it in pediatrics Because that's my specialty We've seen a decline in a lot of the illnesses Like the rotavirus illness was number one And they had um, Before that would cause It was number one in causing Pediatric admissions into the hospital And I remember when I was a nurse Back in 1997 We were flooded with diarrhea And rotavirus And it's it's just a, a Bad, very smelly diarrhea <laughs> uh, intestinal bacteria that, uh, or virus actually, um, that, um, can dehydrate a kid, you know, especially a baby and you can die from it. You know, you can die from dehydration. Um, and that's almost no one's getting rotavirus anymore because, uh, the vaccine came out in about 2005, 2006. So yeah. And so those, Hospital admissions for pediatrics, let me tell you, has gone down immensely.
0: Wow, immensely. Yeah, that's cool to hear. Yeah, that's not what I expected you to say.
1: <laughs> so okay, as in as in just like illness-wise, I mean chronic illnesses. I'm not exactly sure because I'm more in the um, the primary care sector. So I just see like while kids that are well, occasionally I'll see sick kids. Um, but in the hospital i'm not sure if there's a rise in like um cancer patients I, i'm sure 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 i don't know yeah to tell
0: you the truth right but you're saying vaccinate
1: in uh, vaccines are tricky i'm on the fence with them i used to work for a pharmaceutical company i don't agree with their practices um, because i have had that experience um but you know that there was a whole autism controversy, I'm not exactly sure. I I feel that it's very messy. I have theories about it myself of what's going on. Um, So yeah, but ultimately, you know, proof is in the pudding. So
0: right, right. So let's switch gears a little bit. So as a nurse, you spend all of this time and energy dedicated, dedicated, flooded with other people in service, caring, Mm -hmm. caretaking. What happened in 2008 when you kind
1: of hit your limit? In 2008, I was working at a very busy children's hospital as a nurse practitioner, and it, it was a great job. I was also teaching as well. I had just finished a teaching job, uh, teaching nursing at a private university. It didn't go very well. Um, it was my first time teaching, and I really didn't have any mentors. I had to navigate my own way. It was very difficult. So um yeah, so I was just working as a nurse practitioner. I came against—I um, don't know—my coworkers were very nice. They weren't very empowering. I think is better to say uh, people were just doing their job, and that's it. It's kind of like um, being in a factory, you know, in a way. So it wasn't what I went to school to do. Um, so. Yeah, I got very, very frustrated. Um, and I was getting very angry. Um, I was felt myself getting depressed. Uh, I was very moody. Um, I didn't have uh, a significant other in my life at the time. And, um, yeah, I, I, I just started to question life. Uh, so I had always wanted to write and I felt I needed some type of an outlet. And I loved writing when I was in uh, high school and stuff. And, um, But I didn't want to go to, like, a right school. Like, I didn't want to sit at a desk. I didn't want to listen to a teacher. I just didn't want that whole environment. I I was looking for something different. And I found a school in downtown L.A. that took place in a loft. It was a really cool, funky loft with nice couches and a view of Los Angeles and a chef cooking for us. And we had amazing people from the industry, playwrights, Screenwriters, um, published authors, comedians, storytellers—you name it—we had it come teach at the school, and it was awesome. And I became a voracious writer. I was able to have an outlet, and I could write all my frustrations out. You know, I could write stories of my coworkers or what have you, um, and, and it felt like therapy, and it was very therapeutic and healing for me to do that. Um. So we, I would go to retreats. I mean, it was just kind of, I just threw myself into this whole other world. Uh, and it felt like I went into a vortex or a portal or, or what have you. And, um, and I met great people, you know, other people somewhat like me, tired of their jobs and, you know, trying to find some type of an outlet. Uh, and yeah, what had happened was I, I was dating a lot of hypochondriacs as well. And um, I was at a retreat, and I was telling a story, like a great story teller. I have a story for everything. And I was telling my friend a story about a guy who I had dated recently, and he was acting a little bit odd. And he was like, <laughs> "He was like, you sure do date a lot of hypochondriacs." And I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's it—the nurse and the hypochondriacs." And I immediately got the J.K. Rowling's download, and I started to write, 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 write this one-person show. And I then took a one-person show class from Julie Brister, and she's amazing. Um, she's from UCB. Uh, she's an awesome woman. And, uh, yeah, so I took my first class from her. I told my first 10-minute story from my one-person show in class. And then I got an email, and you know, because I felt it needed to go on. I felt that I didn't get my gist. And I got an email from someone saying, hey, there's a little theater called the Neon Venus and on Melrose looking for one-person shows. And they don't have to be noticed people. They're looking for raw people. So I just went in there. And you had to give like a three-minute pitch, like a one-minute pitch, actually. It wasn't even three minutes. It was like you had to give it one sentence about what your show was about. And so I went in there and – I told her, I go, oh, okay, so it's called Nurses and Hypochondriacs, and here's my one pitch. So I'm sitting across a guy, and his name is T-Bone, and he starts talking about his penis. She's like, sold! It's yours! <laughs> it's yours. So I was like, awesome. So um, I did two shows at the Neon Venus, and I didn't even know what I was doing. I mean, I produced it, I directed it, I did the lighting myself. I did everything. You did the lighting yeah, everything. Too. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Um, I did the music. Like it was like I did everything. I didn't even know what I was doing. I had never I'd gone I'd watched Carrie Fisher's one person show on HBO. And I loved it. And um, you know, and I didn't understand that, oh, I need a director, I need all these people. But for my writing I did get my friends together. Uh, and they helped me with the writing, and they also added jokes and told me what they liked and didn't like and what I should cut and how it should flow. So, yeah, so I did that, and I put it to bed for a little bit, and then it resurrected again as my storytelling show, Nurses and Hypochondriacs, because I felt it was so healing for me. And what had happened was when I was standing on stage, I felt that... I was able to get a part of my soul back that I had left in high school because in high school I you know, was in thespians, I did plays, I was the nurse in Romeo and Juliet, I did photography, I did writing, but I left all that in high school after I left at the age of 18 because I felt that I needed to get a real job and a real career mm-hmm. and I didn't feel the arts were a real career. So.
0: so you get your soul back. Did you, did you feel, did you continue at that job in that hospital while, I, while I, you were doing this? I did for a little, for about a year. And did it make it so much easier to show up to work and?
1: Somewhat. Yeah. Everybody then thought I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> What? You're going on stage? Why? Why? Why would you do that? Like, the, I, I think I was transforming internally. Yeah. Uh, You know, and I was doing surgery on myself internally. And nobody knew or was watching that. And all of a sudden, when I was was kind of in my cocoon and coming out with this creative side, people are like, who are you?
0: right like they didn't know
1: who I was anymore cuz I wasn't the same person obviously which
0: is so, which is one of the reasons people actually stay in the cocoon because they're so afraid to to change in front of people and what people right. will say and think and feel and and the new relationships right to get out of that comfort zone exactly so that's just brilliant um i think that there are probably a lot of nurses out there that are pretty freaking exhausted Yeah. from their career so what advice would you give to them
1: to just step out of the box you know and to look at their environment look at what's going on around them uh and maybe try something different you know and my this is now going into another career for me it's just more if never in my life would I have thought oh hey yeah I'm gonna sell my writing or hey yeah Um, this storytelling thing is going to go somewhere, I'm going to monetize it, or it's going to turn into a podcast where people are going to learn and get educated from it. I never saw it that way. I just saw it as purely as something fun, you know, that I was doing, and I was really enjoying it. So my, um, my advice is find something that you're very passionate about, you know, maybe something in your childhood that you had going on, uh, that you left, you know, and it could be something like coloring. I mean, it could be something very basic, maybe playing with Play-Doh that may lead you into, uh, you know, being a sculptor or something. Who knows? Uh, and not that that's going to be your next career, but you just should immerse yourself in it and just lose yourself in it. And so. that's a
0: perfect time to take a quick break for the weekly challenge. Yeah. Welcome to our weekly challenge segment where we arm you with new tools each week to kick some self-care butt. As you explore all of these new options presented weekly, my hope is that you will come to collect a number of quick ways to take care of yourself inside and out. You will essentially have your very own and very handy self-care toolkit. Some of the challenges may not work for you and some will seem perfectly tailored to you. We are building up your defenses, inspiring your mind, body, and spirit toward total wellness. Keep in mind that the goal is always progress, not perfection. The only rule is that you are never allowed to beat yourself up. Keep me posted on your progress. Stay accountable. It helps. Okay, let's hit this week's challenge. Okay, Urcilia,
1: tell us what the challenge is. The challenge is to play. So play at least – how do you do the weekly challenge? Like once a week or once a day? It's up to you. So I would say maybe try to play once a day for 10 minutes a day. And how I define play, like I I said, I've been with kids for 22 years. I've been working with kids for 22 years. And kids just – I mean, they grow through their play. And I think as adults, that's something we shut out of our life is play. And play could be so simple as grabbing – a pack of crayons and coloring something, or getting play doh and and just you know holding it in your hands for about ten minutes, or watercolors or paints, or just even playing hopscotch, um, flying a kite, building a sandcastle, taking a walk on the beach, or even a walk outside and kind of grabbing leaves and doing what kids would do with leaves, like maybe putting them in your hands and smelling them, or. You know, or just daydreaming, you know.
0: Yeah. So yeah, really tap into that inner yeah. child, and I love what you were saying about it. That, you know, if you don't know, because there's this thing that Marie Forleo says, which is that clarity doesn't come from thought; it comes from action. Yes. So you said so true. you said this that you know engage in something else you're passionate about and it's like if you don't know what that is because your whole life is your work and your kids and your partner and and errands Mm -hmm. then just start somewhere yeah just buy some play-doh buy a coloring book see what happens exactly you know whatever
1: you're drawn to i mean whatever's resonating with you at the moment wherever you're going with that that's You know, just go with it. Yeah,
0: I could use some more play in my (laughs) life. I mean, I I I play and I can be very childlike, but sometimes I forget. You know, last night I had to, I had to kind of like up and get myself to a dance class because oh yeah, because yeah, yeah, Yeah. because I get into this habit of you know staying home and resting, Mm -hmm. which I need and is real, but it but ninety five percent of our lives are habits. So on the nights when I'm energized enough to go out I forget that I even have that option right so last night I had to just run to this dance class and I had to like engage with my inner child and be like move however you want sweetheart like awesome what kind of dance it's five rhythms have you been to five rhythms five rhythms is a spiritual kind of dance oh, okay. where you go through you go through these waves of flow and staccato and chaos and oh, so you really get to engage with yeah. an inner child if you want to yeah
1: dance is so good because you get that energy out you know it's like sometimes I, I just all dance I've always danced so ever since a kid I used to be an avid salsa dancer I still kind of go every once in a while um, but I love to dance I'll do hip-hop I'll do uh, various forms of dance and sometimes I'll just if I feel stagnant energy I'll just put on like KCRW or whatever is going on and I just will start dancing you know or even start dancing in my car so it's great to just move that around yeah fun
0: very yeah. healthy Yeah, it's so good. So, guys, that's your challenge. Play, play, play. I know it sounds like it should be so easy, but it's
1: hard for adults. It's hard because you'll be in your realm, you'll be in your world, and you're going to be stuck. So, something that you have to be conscious of and do every day.
0: Yeah. so you brought up, so you got really creative, you started with this writing class, and it just kind of snowballed, and you brought up um, the nurses and hypochondriacs, uh, and I'm, I'm just dying to know, will you please tell us some of the stories of the hypochondriacs, or one? Oh, or- the
1: the guys that <laughs> yeah. I did? Oh, yeah. Sometimes... These hypochondriacs will date me just because I'm a nurse. Like oh, that they, yes. Yeah, so they like it. Like this one guy, um, <laughs> you know, and they'll love that. Oh, I love that. You're a nurse. That's so great. And then they'll start telling you their problems. Like one guy, he was just very like he was he was always going to the doctor. He was very very like healthy, clean. He was. Obsessive about being healthy, eating clean, eating healthy. He had just lost a, a quite a bit of amount of weight, and he was just very hyper into health. So, so much so that uh, he had a, a blood pressure machine. And we had been dating um, exclusively. And right before bed, he's like, "Oh, I got I got to check my blood pressure." I was like, "Why?" <laughs> I think he was forty five. We're the same age. So uh, I was like, "Why I, uh, are you taking blood pressure medication?" And he's like, "No, I just do. I check it like three times a day." I'm like, "Why?" You know, wow. <laughs> as long as you're healthy. And he's like, "Do you want to do it?" And I'm like, "No." <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're like, that's my job. But he
1: would be like, he'd make really healthy green smoothies with all kinds of powders and stuff in the morning, you know, and it was, yeah, he he was quite interesting.
0: Oh, my God. That's so funny. So that's where hypochondriacs came from. That That's yeah. what I was. Yeah,
1: is just several men uh, that I was dating. And, and one of them specifically, I called him my muse, and I was friends with him for quite a long time now, but I just cut him off. Um, but he would even give me, uh, he would help me with the podcast. He would give me, um, episodes to do. He was like, you should do this. You should have this person on. And, and it, you know, he gave me such an amazing guest, uh, for Valley Fever. And I had not known too much about Valley Fever. And then I started to dive into it and how controversial it is and what's going on and how no one's really paying attention to it because it is. Kind of like lime, like it, mm-hmm. it. It does affect your immune system, and it's a fungus that starts to grow um, in your lungs and starts to eat you from the inside out. And um, yeah, so I we did a podcast on that um, a few months ago. I listened ago. to that, and it was so good. wasn't Wasn't she good? She was such she a great was person. So good, yeah.
0: And. Um, what I was thinking is how great and amazing it is that you, as a nurse practitioner, continue to educate yourself mm-hmm. in all of these creative ways. Like, you doing podcasts, I mean, I learned so so much oh my gosh I
1: learned so much from my guests and
0: it's amazing that you get to take that into your place of work where it's so important that people that nurse practitioners doctors everyone be learning this stuff because there are new things like I love that you had me on and learned so much about yeah I learned so
1: much about Lyme and I'm able to help people I mean I was working for this neurologist in 2013 and I remember a mother came in and said oh you know, maybe we should check my kid for Lyme. They don't know what's wrong with him. So I went to the neurologist and I said, Oh, you know, don't He's like, there is no Lyme. What? That's stupid. That's really retarded. That's ridiculous. Until I had you on and I really started looking at it. And now we have lime more Lyme in California and it, the numbers are going up. More and more people are getting it. I mean, there's that whole show on, have you seen, um, that new Netflix movie,
0: Afflicted, Afflicted,
1: yeah. yeah, which is interesting. I mean, I can't watch it too much because then I'm like, I feel like I'm I'm sick. So. Oh my god!
0: And I don't watch it because I just I, I can't. I don't, don't. I don't actually need to learn more about it. But like, <laughs> but yeah. here's my question for you. You yes. just brought it up. Mm-hmm. Do you ever working with people that are? Well, I guess you work with kids, so you don't mm-hmm. have this as much. But as a nurse, over your 22 years, do you ever get like, oh my god, what if I have that when you? Yeah, you're like to your scabies. Patients? Yeah, oh. like like
1: some. I thought I had a scab, and I, I think all nurses do. All nurses are hypochondriacs. That's no oh, thing really? when we're going home. and It's like, oh my god, do I have this? Like, and I'm notorious <laughs> for that. I'm always like, oh my god, I have this and I have that. And I had I used to do it much more before. And now I'm kind of more in the moment, you know. But sometimes if I see something on my hands. Or if I get a patient with lice and I'll be like, oh my gosh, I, did I get that? I better go wash my hair, you know? And so, and if they were just all over me, and because kids will just, you know, jump all over you sometimes. And one right. kid just pulled my dress up yesterday. So uh, the kids, uh, it happens, it happens, <laughs> it happens. So, um, that's amazing. Yeah. So, yes, um, I sometimes I do, and, and I have actually gotten sick from where, you know, some. When I was a very, very new nurse practitioner, the doctor didn't have um, sinks in the waiting or in the exam rooms that I was working at. Um, So I had to walk outside to go wash my hands or have the um, alcohol. So I I was sick all the time.
0: Oh, God. Yeah.
1: And your immune system just has to get used to that and build it up. And I take tons of supplements. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Vitamin Um D, C. Well, kids yep. are just the worst. They're getting people. <laughs> I mean, they're, it's they're, so yeah. easy to get sick around kids. Yes, you know? it's true. So this is amazing. And then and then when you get all scared and you have these things, you can go write a story about it. You can Exa- be like, oh, my I God. Do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, my I'm,
1: gosh. Yes, I have so many. Like now the big thing is kids don't remember their kids don't know where they live or they don't know where their parent's cell phone number is. Or their mom's number. Because remember, I don't know when you were a kid because you're much younger than me. But when I was a kid, um, when we were like five or six or seven, we had to know our, our street address. And we had to know our uh, telephone number. Okay? Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah. yeah. Now kids don't. I mean, I'll ask five, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six, seven, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds. I'm like, what's your mom's number? Two. What's two? <laughs> no, there's more numbers than two. They're like, no, I just press number two. And it dials my mom's number. Oh. So it's interesting how technology has shaped that. And they don't, for some reason, don't know where they live. They don't know their street addresses. And I ask kids all the time. I've not found one kid that's like, this is where I live. I know. Because I, I don't, I was like, there's going to be a lot of lost kids. Don't know how to call their moms. <laughs> so this is like, I'm thinking about writing an article, uh, maybe sending it into one of the parenting magazines and stuff oh, like that. Yeah. Because so I've smart. seen it at several of the, cl- you know, Within the last year. That's so
0: smart. Yeah, so that's what you – so do you want to say anything else about what you do today? And do you have any shows coming up or – We do have a mental health
1: show uh, coming up September 17th, I believe, or 18th. September 17th at the Lexington. And that is a show that I'm co-hosting with my friend Chris it's called um, Admitted. So we're we're doing a show about people who have either voluntarily or involuntarily been admitted into the Psych Ward. So and I used to work in Psych, so I'll be um, telling some stories about that. So yeah. It's so brilliant. And and it's and at the Lexington downtown LA. And yeah. do you feel
0: like <laughs> do you feel like it's so much easier to, to be fully or in your profession now that you have all of these other outlets and um, like you can really serve others
1: now that you're serving yourself? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think I'm a much better practitioner, you know, um, just with my own injuries and my own stuff. Uh, I'm more apt to if someone's having stomach pain, I'm like, um, let's check for parasites. Like I don't hesitate. And a lot of people just don't do that. Uh, yeah, it, I feel it's made me a better practitioner. I'm always uh, looking at articles constantly, daily, so I'm always up on my um, research. Yeah, and stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you're, that's so it's so beautiful. So, how do you? Inc- how, what are some other ways you incorporate self care into such a big life?
1: What self-care. are kind of your? What do I, do? Uh, <laughs> I haven't gotten a massage. I used to. I have a really amazing masseuse. Uh, so yeah, I try to get my massages. I swim. Uh, I bike ride, I walk, walks are great. Uh I meditate. I try to meditate at least five to ten minutes a day. Um yeah, so I mean there are some days where I just have to veg out. Uh um storytelling is great. Uh like I said, I, I went to watch a show last night and I got picked out of the hat to uh be on stage. So I was like awesome. And that was it felt so good, you know, tell the story. I felt like like i was like whoa i feel amazing you know um and it had been a couple weeks since i've been on stage so
0: were you yeah. scared were you scared to do your one-woman show? Oh yeah,
1: oh yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just a hot mess. Yeah, I was very. It was very, very scary. And to tell your first
0: ten-minute story, like all oh, of yeah. those, all of those steps that you took to mm-hmm. get here. So, what would you suggest? What would be your advice to somebody who's just starting to think like, I really want to invest more time in my creativity, but they're terrified.
1: Yeah, that's what I get when I teach my classes. Many people will come um, because they're scared. They're scared of public speaking to me. That's the number one fear next to death
0: that everybody mm.
1: has now, right? So um, just do something fun, you know, and uh, what people do. And this is common. This is what I did. I, I followed I was a stalker. I followed my friends who were doing comedy and doing uh, storytelling on stage. So I would go to their shows and I would watch them until I got the nerve to do it myself. And I would be like, if they can do it, I can do it. And they weren't even perfect at it, you know? And they would come out and they would self-deprecate and they would beat themselves up. And I thought they did an amazing job. The audience doesn't know your errors, you know, and doesn't know, like... You know, like, last night I missed some um, interesting little details of my story, but nobody knew except for me. You know, they're like, oh, that was pretty good, you know? Right. So, um, yeah. So just, um, you know, maybe if you're getting into storytelling, like, go to some shows. There's tons of shows in Los Angeles. Uh, listen to The Moth, maybe, you know? Um take a dance class at the gym you know something safe like that uh and you don't necessarily have to do it with friends you could do it by yourself or yeah just baby steps baby steps start
0: small and the way you started was just by going to a writing class yeah right so yeah yeah. so that's so inspiring thank you so much urcilia for coming on and and talking to us and giving us so much so much information where can people find you
1: um, you can find me. I'm all over social media, Facebook, uh, nurses and hypochondriacs. Um, I am on Instagram, rogue nurse media, Twitter, nurses and hypochond, and, um, uh, my website, rogue nurse And you yeah, can find our podcast, nurses and hypochondriacs on iTunes and Podbean amazing thank you so much
0: and i'll be linking to all of that in the show notes okay guys thanks so much for joining us don't forget to check out the patreon link below in the show notes and all other links to everything we discussed today have a great week bye Thank you so much for listening to Healing Out Loud. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate and review on iTunes. Find me at Shay Jackie on Instagram, my favorite social media platform, and follow me at jackieshay.com if you want to stay in touch. You can also write to me through jackieshay.com if you're interested in working with me as your trusted wellness companion. I'm always happy to hear from you with any questions, comments or concerns. You can also join the Healing Out Loud with Jackie Shay Facebook group. Have an amazing week, you kick-ass humans. I hope you're able to implement what you learned this week, and I can't wait to share more. Bye.